great trumpet player Louis Armstrong once told a story about something that he experienced while growing up in uh, the deep south in Louisiana. He said that one day his caretaker, Miss Allie Mae, sent, uh, sent him down to the pond to get some water. And he said that, that on that particular day, he got to the pond and he squatted down and was about to scoop water out of that pond when just under the surface, Louis saw two huge eyes looking right back at him. And those eyes were attached to a long, scaly head with a body to match. And so little Lewis dropped the pail that he was holding and he ran all the way back to the house and he slammed the door and Miss Allie Mae asked him, well, where's my water? And Louis said, I couldn't get it. And Miss Allie Mae uh, asked, why not? And little Louis said, there's a huge alligator in that pond and I am never going near that pond again. And Miss Allie Mae answered, well, that old critter's been down there forever. And besides, Lewis, that alligator is just as afraid of you as you are of him. And Louis said that he then replied, Miss Allie Mae, if that alligator is as afraid of me as I am of him, then that water ain't fit for drinking. <laughs> so what are you afraid of? What keeps you awake at night? What are you worried about? Are you anxious about anything? If so, I think you're probably pretty normal. Several years ago, a scientific study looked at 500 different people and discovered between those 500 different people, 7,000 different fears between them. That's an average of 14 fears per person. A couple years ago, the Chapman University Survey on American Fears, you see the chart up there, indicated the, the, the top five fears, if you look there, uh, for people in America are public speaking, heights, we've lumped all these together, bugs, snakes, and other animals, I think we could probably separate those out probably, uh, drowning, and blood or needles. You see that zombies comes in above clowns, but under flying, just where we're at. So you see there, and that's, that's just uh, 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 fun to look at, and th but those are, just, those are specific fears, right? That doesn't include the general anxiety that many people carry with them all the time. Before the pandemic, uh, estimates were that at least 20% of the population was dealing with some sort of anxiety disorder. And now, in the wake of COVID-19, the World Health Organization estimates there's, there's been a 25% increase in people's anxiety. So we all worry and we get anxious and it, it's, it's part of how we're made. It's our, a part of our natural defenses. We're on the lookout for things that could harm us, right? But that anxi anxiety can very quickly start to control us and take us places that we, we would rather not go and maybe shouldn't go. The word worry in English comes from the Anglo-Saxon word that means to strangle, I think we can relate to that, that anxiety and worry certainly feel like they strangle us. The Greek word used in the New Testament for worry or anxiety comes from a word that means to divide. And of course, that's what anxiety does. It divides our attention, our emotions, and our decisions. Now, we, we probably all know, if we're, if we're just sitting and talking about worry, we, we, we could probably come to the place and we'd say, yeah, worrying usually doesn't help all that much. I think the estimates are like 90 plus percent of the things that we worry about never happen, right? So uh, uh, even the, uh, and, th and that goes clear back, even the Roman Stoic philosopher Seneca once said, he suffers more than is necessary, 
who suffers before it is necessary. And uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, uh, said, Anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. It only empties today of its strength. It doesn't necessarily help. Uh, so over the next few weeks, uh, we're, we're going to be uh, using the He Gets Us ad campaign to inspire our study of Scripture. Maybe you've seen some of those commercials. Over the last year or so, uh, they've been uh, on, on TV a lot of times during sports. There were a couple of them during the, uh, uh, the, the Super Bowl this year. Uh, they're, they're, they're clever, they're surprising, they're inspiring, and they underline the fact that Jesus actually experienced what we experience. He actually knows what we're going through. Uh, some of those uh, uh, ads are part of uh, a group in our church who, uh, who is uh, part of what we've called the connection team. And if folks see those ads and they, they go to the, the, the place that those ads lead them to and they can ask questions and whatever, and some of those, those uh, messages get funneled uh, to churches just like ours where people can interact with and uh, uh, text and, and, and talk with folks who are, who are finding out more about faith. Uh, that, that ad campaign, has uh, has been uh, um, a great recent great tool to, uh, to to reach folks in our uh, in our world, especially in our country for Christ. They've been developed by Christians to reach people with with Jesus' love. And maybe you've seen them, maybe you haven't. You can look up a whole bunch. You just go on YouTube and, and plug in uh, uh, He Gets Us. They have a whole, uh, whole site and you can watch tons of those. Uh, but for the next few weeks, we're going to use just a few of them, just a handful, as a jumping off point for the, uh, for the Sunday messages. And today, as you've seen up there behind me, today is all about anxiety. And in, in watching Jesus' life and in following his teaching, we can learn some great ways to deal with the anxiety that we experience. I, I think there are several different, different options that we have, I guess, when we, uh, when we get anxious. Uh, first of all, we can see it as a, uh, a normal human response, or anxiety at times can be sin, right? So, so there's, uh, there's, there's some, uh, some tension there. One of the most well-known passages in, in Scripture about worry is, is found in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. At the end of, uh, of Matthew 6, Jesus says, beginning in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more than clothes? Uh, Jesus goes on then to, uh, to, to use God's care of the birds and the flowers as, as two examples of ways that he takes care of all creation. And then he concludes this section this way. So jumping down to verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So Jesus says, don't worry. And we could, I guess, look at that and, and uh, think that it's just part of a, I don't know, don't worry, be happy kind of theology, right? Well, just, you're worrying? Don't. And then we could move on. But, but it's, it's actually uh, worry, anxiety, and Jesus teaching here, it's actually a, a little deeper than that, right? A little, a little more uh, nuanced and, and complicated than it might appear 
on the surface. Some people would paint all worry as sinful and wrong and to be avoided and, and to be confessed at all times. Others take the opposite approach and, and say that being anxious is just, well, I'm not, I'm not worrying. I'm just a realist. This really could happen, right? And so, so I'm, I'm just uh, looking at all this stuff in the world and, and, and I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle, right? There, there are at least, I, I think, uh, um, it makes sense. There's probably more, but at least three kinds of, uh, of anxiousness or anxiety that we experience. Some anxiety is a, is a natural response to high-pressure situations. We get anxious because of, of a perceived threat coming at us or about to come at us, right? Growing up uh, in uh, middle school and high school and probably even into to college age, um, I, uh, at times, would sing solos in church. And for a while, uh, especially in, in high school, I got kind of nervous about that. More than once, I came out to uh, sing a beautiful, inspiring song to the Lord in front of a congregation of 500 people, and it was right after I had emptied the contents of my stomach in the stall in the men's room backstage, right? Because the question is, well, was that sin? Was I sinning by being anxious and nervous about that? I don't, I don't think it was. It was a, a natural response to a high-pressure situation. At least I perceived as a threat of 500 pairs of eyes staring at me while I was trying to hit the right notes, right? Uh, of course, we all face much greater threats than that, uh, uh, although spe- public speaking was right at the top of the list there, so... Uh, but whether it's, it's a medical diagnosis or social unrest or violence around the world, natural disasters, pandemics, I mean, the list goes on and on of real threats that we could face. And when we do, there's a level of anxiety, right? And it's expected. And it's, it's not sinful. It's, it's how we're made. It's a natural response. For some, there are even clinical reasons why that can worsen or, or heighten those reactions. And, and those responses aren't sinful or wrong. They're natural emotional responses. I think at other times we get, we get anxious uh, as a response to sin. Uh, some anxiety comes because we're doing the wrong thing and then we're anxious about the fact that we did the wrong thing, right? So uh, Jesus' words in Matthew 6 uh, are, are, not in the, are in the context of, of worrying over material possessions, having everything that we need, right? We, we can get so focused on what we think we need or what others have that we don't have and that can lead us to, to worry about, about those things. In this specific instance, Jesus is uncovering the sin of greed and envy. When we sin, we feel the, uh, the, the, the guilt of that, the, the, the conviction that we've done wrong, and then we try to hide our guilt or ignore it or justify our behavior, and, and, and all of that heightens our anxiety. And, and of course, the, the remedy for that type of anxiety is, is to, to avoid sin. Don't sin anymore, and it'll get rid of the anxiety about the fact that we sinned, right? Uh, we, we need to come clean. We need to confess our guilt, a clear conscience. Maybe this is... Maybe this is uh, uh, a good uh, thing for, for your life today, a clear conscience is a great antidote to worry. If I'm, if I'm uh, living the way God wants me to live, I won't be anxious about the fact that I'm not living the way God wants me to live. Some anxiety comes from sin. Uh, some anxiety leads us to sin, though, right? Jesus says that anxiety, the anxiety that we experience can lead us to the sin of ignoring God or, or chasing other priorities instead of him. We, we read there uh, in, uh, in, in Matthew 6 that there is a, a key remedy to fight against worry, and that is to seek God first. 
Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all this stuff will take care of itself. We don't have to worry about all that stuff. The insinuation then is that, that it, when we are worrying, we're chasing after, we're seeking lesser things and leaving God out. Much of our worry stems from putting our trust in things that are not God. If I just had this, I, I've really got to make sure this happens because, because all this has to fall into place. I've got to, and, and I'm so worried and focused on this, I'm forgetting that God is there uh, as, as uh, in control of it all. It's, it, I, I love the phrase, uh, and it'll stick with me for, for life and has for, for many years from Oswald Chambers. He says, all worry is calculating without God. I'm taking everything I've got. Oh, I've got to face this. I've got to face this. And, and I'm making the, and doing the, and I don't think it's all going to work. Oh, wait, I forgot to calculate that God's in control of this and it kind of smears out everything. I've, I've, I've got to calculate that, that, that God, is, so I seek first his kingdom and then it makes everything else work out. So, and that leads us, I think, to another choice that we make as we look at anxiety here. It's, is it a natural response or is it, is it sin? But uh, it's also, when we face anxiety, we've got a choice to make. Am I going to go to God or am I going to avoid him? Luke 5.16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus spent time alone with his father, often, like a lot, like probably more than daily, like this was the habit, the routine, the, 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 the ebb and flow of his life. This was his practice. It wasn't just in response to uh, anxiety-inducing situations, but it was in preparation for them, right? Because Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He spent time with his heavenly father. He was prepared for things that might come his way that would, uh, could uh, produce anxiety in his life. Time alone with God is a preemptive habit that we can develop that can reduce our anxiety. I mean, Jesus' life was stressful. I, I think if we, if we did spend any time at all walking through the things that, 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 that Jesus uh, uh, did and, and the things that he had in his life, we, we'd agree. Jesus' life was, he, he faced some things that probably would, would produce anxiety. I mean, he's on a boat and there's a storm. And uh, I mean, it was anxiety for all the disciples for sure, right? Uh, the, the, just some natural stuff going on, the natural uh, ebb and flow of life and, and storms and different things. He, he faced the possibility of crowds getting hangry after a long sermon. I relate to this fear of anxiety, right? We've only got about 45 minutes to go. Um, Jesus regularly confronted demons, Pretty sure, kind of a stressful situation, right? Probably inducing a little bit of uh, uh, anxiety. Uh, he had compassion on the sick and the hurting. He identified with their suffering. He stepped into uh, where they were and, and identified with folks going through all sorts of circumstances. So in the middle of all that, and in the middle of his, his deep desire for people to, uh, to be connected with his heavenly father, he also faced opposition, right? You got the church leaders, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, and the... Whoever sees, and they, they, uh, uh, they were coming at him all the time and questioning this and getting him in trouble here and trying to fight back and asking questions. I mean, and so Jesus knew he had to be prepared. And so he spent time alone with his father. Often, not once a week, not a couple of times a year, 
probably many, many, many times a day. <laughs> there was also a specific time that I want to highlight when, when, when Jesus also, not only would he spend time preemptively with, Jesus, with, with his father so that he was prepared for anxious situations, he also went there in response to anxious situations. There's, there's one place uh, when, uh, when, when the circumstances of his life were such that uh, we see specifically he went, uh, went to God in prayer because of what was going on in his life. John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, his partner in ministry, had been arrested, and, and then he was violently beheaded. And the, it, was, it was certainly an anxiety-producing event for him. And Jesus, uh, well, we find out what Jesus did in Matthew 14. It says, when Jesus heard what happened, referring to that about John the Baptist, what did he do? He withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. I mean, he's already in the habit of spending time alone with God, and then in response to this unexpected, tragic event, the first place that Jesus went was to the arms of his father. And it's a great example for us. When we face circumstances that cause stress and fear and anxiety, we must first and foremost fall into the loving arms of our heavenly Father. Part of our answer to anxiety is to live closely with God each day. Spending time with God, knowing him, knowing his love, his power, his compassion, uh, all the things of, of who God is, knowing those things can greatly reduce or even eliminate our anxiety. I, I think Psalm 4610 plays into this as well. In the midst of all the craziness of life, uh, the psalmist tells us, uh, uh, God saying through the psalmist, be still and know that I am God, knowing, not just knowing in your head, knowing in your heart, knowing in your soul that God is God puts everything else in perspective. Trusting that he can and he will take care of you. That is an anxiety killer. A lot of times we do the opposite, right? We, we complain, we, we make our own plans, uh, we blame people, we blame God. The last thing we do is go to God. Many times we, we avoid God or we're even hostile to him. Uh, it, but in the middle of our anxiety and our pain, drawing close to God should be the first place that we go. We can either go to God or we can avoid him. Another thing I think we find from Jesus' life, knowing that uh, he walked through anxiety just like we do, is that we need to face anxiety in community, not in isolation. So I just said, Jesus went by himself in isolation to pray to, pray to God. That's a, a key part of, of this. Spending time alone with God is a, is a key part of battling anxiety, but God has also put people in our lives to help in stressful situations as well. One of the most painful anxiety-producing times in Jesus' life was when he faced the cross. How did he handle that? Well, he asked his closest friends for their presence and their support. Matthew 26, verse 37. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not, I will, not, yet not as I will, but as you will. So in that garden of Gethsemane, uh, as Jesus literally faced his own mortality, he brought his friends with him for support 
and prayer. Now, if you know the story, you know that unfortunately his friends let him down a little bit, and Peter, James, and John fell asleep uh, several times uh, in the process of that. But Jesus knew that he he wanted to have them close, and he needed support. And maybe maybe there's another point there that sometimes. Uh, uh, overcoming anxiety uh, could just mean getting enough rest. Maybe we could, we could take it that angle, I don't know. But uh, uh, in, in that anxious situation, Jesus knew that he needed fellowship and community from those who were close to him. Now, sometimes people in Scripture had to, had to stand alone, but most of the time they had someone to help them. Moses had Aaron, David had Jonathan, and then his band of mighty men. Uh, Jesus had the 12 disciples. Paul had companions throughout his missionary journeys. Uh, Isolation is never a good place to be when we're battling anxiety. God has given us fellowship in the church and friends and family to, to walk with us through hard times. It's another way that we can prepare in advance to face stressful, anxiety-producing situations. But, but, but friend, uh, maybe, maybe the, uh, the instruction here is to build friendships, don't burn bridges. Those relationships will be key when anxious, uh, anxious situations come. In today's society, people are more isolated than ever. You'd think with all of the uh, possible connecting we can do through social media and the internet and email and texting and FaceTime and phones and all the stuff, we'd be more connected than ever. But, but an increasing amount of people are becoming more and more isolated. There was a, a survey by Harvard's uh, 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 Making Caring Common project, and this is what they found. 36% of respondents reported serious loneliness feeling lonely frequently or almost all the time or all the time, 36%, over a third of people. This this is even worse in the young adult population that has seen a 43% increase in loneliness since the pandemic, while 63% is experiencing significant symptoms of anxiety and depression more broadly. Faced with anxiety, it is clear that many in our society are falling into loneliness and isolation. And they actually take steps to go away from what the part of the prescription could be, which is to be involved in relationship with others. But, but the call to action here is not just for, uh, for me to say to those who are anxious, you better get out there and make some friends. I, I don't think that's the call to action here. I mean, that's, that, that can be something that you attempt to do, but I think the call to action is to the church, to the, the, the body of Christ, to us, to reach out in love to folks that we know are dealing with increased levels of isolation, anxiety, and depression. Part of, part of our marching orders are to love other people. I, I've heard it around here a couple of times. We live to love people to life. Not an anxious life, but a fulfilled, abundant life with God. It is, it is our uh, mission to, to build relationships with people, to proactively seek out relationships. Yes, for evangelism, and, and we've talked about that, and, and we want to uh, introduce them to Jesus, but maybe first and foremost, to simply be a friend. We have a, an absence, a, a, a vacuum of, of friendship. We need to help other people know that they matter. Uh, we, we need to help them know that you care for them, that, that, that God cares for them. We need these relationships. So, so how are you intentionally building relationships? Or how are you going to intentionally build relationships? Maybe you could host a neighborhood barbecue this spring. Have a little, uh, have a little uh, uh, block party in your, uh, in your driveway. 
Maybe you could, uh, after church, invite somebody to lunch and build relationships with somebody that you don't know too well here at, at church. Or maybe you know them real well, or maybe you know them too well. I don't know. But, but uh, you, you, you want to intentionally build those relationships. Maybe you need to, uh, maybe you could go visit a nursing home with some flowers and a smile and just say, hey, and build, find some friends. Maybe you could join a life group. Or maybe you should call your dad. Or maybe you should write a note to grandma. I don't, the list goes on and on. What, what I've found to be true is that when you invest in someone else's life, <laughs> you're encouraged just as much or more as they are, right? Those relationships can be key in battling anxiety in, in your life as well. Faced with, uh, face anxiety with in, in community, not in isolation. Jesus gets us and he set that example for us. Well, we, Sure, we haven't uh, uh, covered the entire topic of, of anxiety today, but, but, but I think one place that we need to go is that we need to recognize that anxiety in our lives is going to end either in struggle, we're going to struggle with this and this is just how it is, or it's going str- to end in surrender, surrendering to God. Matthew 27, 46, Jesus on the cross. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Talk about an anxiety-producing situation. (laughs) The weight of the sin of the world on Jesus as he hung dying. Many have taken this to, to mean that God turned his back on Jesus at that time. Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? I want to push back on that concept just a little bit today, but still recognize and know that Jesus had every feeling of abandonment in those moments. But So he quotes this. This is actually quoting the first line of Psalm 22. Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, if you look it up, verse 1, that's what it says uh, right there. Jesus used some of the few breaths that he had left as he hung there dying on the cross to express his feelings of abandonment and suffering. Again, he gets us. We can't stress that enough. You felt abandoned. You suffered. Jesus did too. He knows what it's like to face excruciating circumstances. He felt forsaken. A couple of years ago, I was uh, in a, it was actually during the pandemic, I was in a, a, a Zoom call with pastors and, and we were logged in to uh, uh, listen to one of our Nazarene general superintendents uh, sharing some thoughts in the, in the wake of all that was going on. And, and uh, uh, one place that he went was, was talking about this aspect of, of the crucifixion. And, and he shared that, that it was common for, for teachers in that day uh, to, uh, to quote the first line of a well-known psalm knowing that, uh, that, that everybody knew the whole psalm, and rather than quote the whole psalm, several, many, many verses long, uh, he was, he was uh, saying the first line so that everyone would know, oh yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's uh, Psalm 22. And they would, uh, they, they, it would be like us saying, hey, re- remember Psalm 22. Instead of, they didn't have the numbers at that point, and uh, they, uh, they would just quote the first line. So Jesus, in saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's, it's not, he's not only expressing his feelings of abandonment in that moment, he's also expressing everything else that David was expressing when he wrote that psalm many years before. 
including the last half of Psalm 22, which praises God for his presence and his deliverance. Psalm 22, verses 22 to 24 say, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. That general superintendent that day pushed back on the thought that God, the father, turned his back on his son on the cross. Comes from a well-known song, and it's a great, touching song, and that's, that's great that we sing at Easter, but, but he's not only expressing, I feel abandoned, God, please help. He's also declaring, God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him. He's listening to my cry for help. When we feel abandoned, we can take solace in turning to Jesus who felt that too. And yet through that whole process, he remained focused on his father's will. While still on the cross, Jesus uh, said other things that, that, that show his, his, abandon, his, his, his uh, surrender to God's will in that situation. He said, it is finished. I've, I've come to, I've, uh, it's, it's all fulfilled he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He had already surrendered the entire situation to God in the garden while his buddies are, are sleeping off to the side. And he said, not what I will, but what you will. Even in the face of Jesus' ultimate suffering, he surrendered to his Father's will. Perpetual worry and anxiety presents us with a choice. We can continue to struggle, looking for solution after solution, And some of those are more effective than others. We can get desperate searching for something, anything that will give us relief from the struggle. But but our answer doesn't lie in struggle. Our answer lies in surrender. Put yourself fully and completely in the care of your loving Heavenly Father, trusting that He knows what is best and will work everything for the good of those who love Him. John Stott once wrote, A Christian's Freedom from Anxiety is not due to some guaranteed freedom from trouble, but to the folly of worry and especially to the confidence that God is our Father, that even permitted suffering is within the orbit of his care. Maybe the author of of Hebrews sums things up well for us today. Hebrews chapter 12, uh, starting at the end of verse 1. It says, let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, consider Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider Jesus. He's he's been there. He's been through it all. He has faced anything and everything that we might possibly face that produces worry and stress and anxiety and fear in our lives. In a phrase, he gets us and he shows us a way through it. Lean into your relationships with people. Spend time alone with God often. Ultimately, surrender 
your life to God's will, trusting that not only does he get us, he's got us.